0: hey oysters this is nate here with a quick travel update i have officially landed in Augsburg, and it's really hard to describe exactly how i'm feeling right now this past month has just been an absolute whirlwind and it's just a freaking get over here but i'm here and things are starting to calm down a little bit but i've already learned so much about europe and myself and I'm spending a lot of time with my family that I'd never really gotten to know before, and exploring the city every single day, and just enjoying my time. I'm enjoying life. I still remember recording episode zero a couple years ago, proclaiming to the world that I was going to move to Germany. And here I am. Just like that. I did it. It's still pretty crazy to me, but I did it. I'm here. I'll keep you guys updated on what's happening on Instagram. I changed my handle, so sorry about that. It's now Nathan.Wanders, N-A-T-H-A-N, period, W-A-N-D-E-R-S on Instagram. And just thanks to everyone who's been there to support me. And thanks to all you, the listeners, for keeping me honest and on track, for helping me keep the dream alive when I was just out of reach. And thanks for listening. These episodes really fill me up, and we have a lot of fun episodes coming up in these next couple weeks, and I promise you that it's going to be a blast. So thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to Oyster World.
1: Oyster
2: World.
0: Bonjour. Radio. Hello, all you oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. It's easy to get trapped in the day-to-day routines of our personal bubbles, but there are billions of ways to live this one life you got, and it's my job to find those ways and bring them to you. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and today we have one of the two final episodes conducted in the United States and I couldn't have picked a better man for the job. Manoj Kumar Valori, a.k.a. The Man OJ, had to slip that inside joke in, (laughs) grew up in India and pursued his studies in the U.S. Obviously, that was pretty hard on its own, but throwing a breakup, sick family, a visa countdown, and a fruitless job search, you have one hell of a rough patch. Knowing Manoj, he's one of the most grateful and centered people around. Never letting too much get to him and just always happy. And honestly, I wish I could be more like that. But he's walked along a winding, twisting road to get to where he is today. And sometimes you need a little fire to force the steal. Well, that's it for me. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Manoj Kumar Felluri.
3: <laughs> I'd love that's platinum a, zone, man. What's platinum wrong? Yeah. Dance. I'm in the platinum zone right now. <laughs> <laughs> Platinum
2: Zone is the happiest moment. It's just like the happiest place to be in life. It just, it's,
3: yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to talk about. I I don't want to, you know, reduce the significance of Platinum Zone by trying to explain it. It's just, it just the is. Zone.
2: I think it just should be a mystery for everyone. Yeah. listening. It's it's probably it's probably what <laughs> those the, saints or monks know.
3: back in Himalayas try to go into, you know, that zone. Yeah. They try to meditate years and years, and eventually they go into the platinum zone. We yeah, do that. We just, found it. we just found it. Right.
2: It was one ran. Random- I'm sure everyone knows where this is going now, but it was one. <laughs> random d- Saturday after a festival and then the night just continued forward into Platinum Zone. <laughs> <laughs> to slip right and in. And we, we were dancing. Oh, man. That was so good. We were, yeah, we were in, we were in the Platinum Zone. We were in the Platinum Zone. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, Minos, thank you for coming on to Oyster World Radio. We are very happy to have you today. And you and me, we got to really know each other through work. So we used to both work At Patel, I no longer work at Patel, and you're still going. Is it kind of weird not having me around?
3: Um, no. (laughs) Are you just waiting to get rid of me? Of course, get out of here. (laughs) I mean, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Here's uh, here's the thing: we uh, never worked together, so I mean, so I when I think about you, you're uh, you're a part of my life outside of Patel. Like, I've never seen you or, you know, I don't see much of a good friend. Julio or, I mean, even Joel. I just got to work with him recently. So, when I think about Battelle, all that comes to my um, head is my boss, you know. I see him all the time and we keep doing this back and forth thing all the time. So, I think, you know, when I talk about work. I guess that's
2: fair. I usually stop around every now and then when I'm in the area, but.
3: Yeah, but you don't do that often. He'll still miss me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll no, see. I, I, I guess not. I mean honestly see, betel is just like what? Six to seven hours of my day. Yeah. The rest of it is what I spend with you guys. So That's I'm gonna miss you part. for a I'm gonna miss you for a bigger chunk of my day than you think I'm gonna miss you for, right? Right. That's so, fair. Okay, I'll tell I you think that. I'll give you that. You'll miss the you'll miss the platform zone. I'll miss <laughs> the <laughs>
2: That was so dumb. I loved it every second. Of it. I don't
3: know how I came up with that. <laughs> you were you were you were on point. I know, right?
1: right. Oh my god.
2: So where were we? I could I could talk and joke around with you for hours, but we'll yeah. get to the main point. Why I brought you on is you also have a very interesting story of how you got to Columbus. Mm -hmm. Um, And started working at Patel, so I'm going to dive right in. And I'm going to ask you all of the intrusive questions that I now get to ask my friends on a podcast. Oh my God. So I hope you're prepared. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll go ahead and start with my favorite part of of all the podcasts and getting to know how you grew up. So you were born in India in a small town in the state of, oh my God, Andhra Pradesh. You did good. Okay, I'm I'm getting there. So you're getting there. Make you're getting me there. As much <laughs> as you want. You're getting there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is in what part of India? What what part of India?
3: It's it's the southern part. So southern if you part. remember the map of India, it kind of tapers to mm-hmm. the bottom, right? It's right. You know, it's not right at the tip, but just right about. Just right about. Okay, right
2: so southern India yeah. in a small town, but you moved around a lot. Yeah, I did. So what was the what was the home dynamic like so you moved around a lot what was i guess like the family like what was living in a small town in india like i don't even really have any idea of what that would be like so okay can you describe for me
3: sure so um before i do that i have to tell you like i've i I was brought up by my grandparents right and my mom when she delivered me she handed me right to my grandmom, and she took off to Russia to do her uh, grad studies in medicine. What? Yeah.
2: So she had you,
3: and then... She handed me right over to my grandmom, and she's like, okay, ma, I'm going.
2: And then she went and pursued studies her, Russia, uh, yeah, She was doing medicine, and
3: she, she was like, I have to, she had to dive back into it. And then my grandmom and my granddad were the ones who were raising me. And then at one point, my mom came back, and she's like... Okay, I'm done with my studies. Can I have my kid back? And my <laughs> grandmom was like, I mean, she found me totally adorable. And she was like, no. oh, You sure? get another one. I, I'm keeping this one. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. Yeah. I, totally I see mean, why. there were times she regretted that decision. You know, I'll tell you why in, you know, as we keep oh, going. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, you will. Yeah, so I was brought up by my grandparents. And my granddad worked for the electricity board in Andhra Pradesh, the state. And as a part of, like, as a part of his job, he had to go around. He was, you know, spread around all over the state. And so, I was born in a city called Kakinada, and right after I was born, like a few days later, we've moved to a city called Vijayawada, which was where you know I spent you know a sizable chunk of my childhood.
2: Oh, so you didn't really spend very much time in the in the first city town. I was born in, uh, in. Kakinada. No, yeah, okay. I was in
3: I was in, you know, I don't have any memories associated with it as such. Gotcha.
2: And then you were off to your new, new home, and then things started to get a little interesting. Yeah I, kinda, yeah, I kind of. Yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> Not when in a bad, right? <laughs> just in a fun way. Right.
3: So when I was born, I was totally underweight, and that got my grandma. Worried, you know, and when your grandmom's worried about your weight, she tries to feed you everything and anything under the sun. That
2: sounds fantastic.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it does, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was initially born a few pounds underweight and then going in an year, I'm like 10 pounds overweight. No, I was like, just... I became this totally plum, chubby kind of kid. <laughs> Everyone liked to, you know, uh, come around and play with me. They wanted to pull my cheeks. And oh, uh, for some part oh of me no. didn't like that. So I just used to wait for them to come to me, you know, not yell or cry. But then as they came closer, I just used to grab a huge chunk of their skin. And I used to twist. Oh, it's and a payback. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a payback, I guess. And then even uh, recently... But don't touch me. <laughs> this is what it feels like or or more like touch me but you're gonna pay for it yeah (laughs) i dare you yeah i double dare you i mean even uh recently when i went back to my country people were like oh my god you're so big do you know what you did to me when you were so small and they started showing me their wounds and i'm like uh, I guess I grew up I'm sorry. <laughs> if you want I can be the same person again.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you uh if you, yeah. you want to keep going. <laughs> if you I miss it.
3: that person it's not so tough, you know. <laughs> I can really go back to that in a wink. <laughs> so
2: you were you you described you described yourself as a little devil. It's yeah, and
3: it's it's a part of who I was. <laughs>
2: I am, please tell me more. I can't let that go. Yeah. so, so <laughs> What what were you doing to earn that title? So
3: Here's the thing. If you were to visit my house, like in Vijayawada when I was a kid, what you would find is the first thing you would see is the balcony is, is totally covered by a grill, like an iron grill. Okay. And then as you step into the house, everything was placed at least five feet or above from the floor.
2: Because you were getting the yeah. everything. So uh, apparently there was, there was
3: once... um a bunch of relatives who came to my house and they were talking to my grandma and they were like why does this place feel like a prison You know. and then my grandmom was like okay have this kid for a few moments I'll just make some coffee and I'll bring it here so they did the obvious thing of coming close to me trying to you know be playful and touch me and then I did my obvious thing of you know trying to pay it back to them <clears throat> and my grandmom comes back with coffee and tea and they're like yep we see why <laughs> 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 you didn't have to do that you could have just told us what happened <laughs> so, so
2: you were you were just kind of
0: torturing people oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: the grill and the objects being placed five foot above they have a separate story so when i had an argument with my granddad i mean i'm this passive aggressive person i don't really yell or shout or cry so if i have an argument i just silently step away and wait for the right moment to pay back mm. Yeah. So once apparently my granddad yelled at me and I kind of hated it. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll wait for my moment. And I uh, knew his boss was living downstairs. Like we were in a two-story building. We were Mm -hmm. on the second floor and he was on the first one. So one day I was just waiting outside in the balcony with a chair and waiting for that guy to step out.
2: Oh, my God. You drop a chair on him? suspense
3: <laughs> so i did i did drop the chair but then he escaped from it oh my god you're dropping chairs on me. Yeah. how old were you in this time uh i give myself the benefit of doubt and say probably two years so you were two years old yeah you were Damn, you were picking up chairs. Yeah, you're a strong kid. I, w- I was pretty strong. So there was a baby <laughs> chair which I had, and that was that had you know pieces of metal and wooden. And if that dropped on your head, you'd be probably laying in bed for the next few days. You know? Yeah, that wouldn't be too. And bad. my granddad would have lost his job. <laughs> yeah, so you were. Like, I guess okay, that's what I was for going for. Moment, <laughs> you to, all right, right, at me, grandpa,
1: I'm gonna yeah. drop a chair. You're on gonna, on gonna your cost a job. <laughs>
3: So he missed that somehow, and that's when we got the grill. And once I had an argument with my grandmom, and again, I waited for her to leave the scene, and I just silently snuck out to find the most precious piece of glassware or ceramic or china, and took it out and dropped it, and I was waiting for her to step on it.
2: Oh my god. So at two years old, you were a a schemer and (laughs) revenge-ridden... Todd
3: Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's when they saw the engineer like no in one me. me. <laughs> I guess they were impressed with my planning they wanted me to be an engineer or something. I don't know. No, that worked out. Yeah, that kind of worked out. <laughs> Which we we'll later.
2: The but that didn't last. That is not you now. You're not this hostile person dropping chairs on Oh well, well we never know, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Maybe you just missed a couple times. Ooh, or I'm on the good side. I don't know. You're actually. lucky to be alive, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe uh, Minos. Uh, we've been friends for a while. Yeah. Uh, always remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Before you off me. Um, but, so, God damn it. Um, so that wasn't your entire childhood. You then became. You went to.
3: So that was Another still my talent. that was still my first or second grade. Second grade. And then I went to a place called Rajamandri, which is where I spent, you know, a sizable chunk of my childhood. And it's Rajamandri. Right. Oh, got it. Perfect. Nail no. yeah, <laughs> You
2: can make fun of me if you want to. You don't have to I'm waiting to for a chance,
3: but you're not giving me one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're like nailing all those names right there. <laughs> yes. God, Almost through it. <laughs> Hey, I can throw some curveballs at you if you're feeling proud oh, about you, it. <laughs> I'm sure
2: you could. I, Yes. In yeah. fact, do it. It's got a challenge accepted.
3: <laughs> yep. So, um... No, say,
2: say some word. I'll, I'll try to pronounce it. Oh, no.
3: Thiruvananthapuram.
2: Oh, I didn't get any of that.
0: Um, Thiruvananthapuram?
3: <laughs> ha, gotcha. Oh, you. <laughs> oh, oh <my> God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you say it one more time? Thiruvananta puram. Thirunan,
2: oh crap, Thirunanthra puram. Thir... You had oh, an I'm extra stuck. R in there. Thir Nantra. Thir
3: Thiruvananthran. Nanta.
2: Nanthra. Thiru... Nanta. <laughs> Nanta.
3: Puram. Puram. Yeah, Thiruvananta puram.
2: Thiruvananthra puram.
3: Yep. Oh, Almost there, you know. Yeah. You're getting there. <laughs> and so,
2: I'm always fascinated because there's just certain sounds. I it's know, like right? Germans can't say th very well in right. English, and there's. I'm starting to realize that there's so many sounds that my mouth no. doesn't so create
3: sounds. <laughs> I mean, first when I got here, it was tough to speak English the American way. You know, once you're taught Oxford talking English. in the yeah. British, English. No, British English, yeah. We call it coffee, not coffee, you know, (laughs) know, that it was tough to adjust. But, you know, as time goes, as you stay at one place for a long time and as you interact with a lot of people, as you and there has to be some part of you that, you know, pushes you to fit in and try to practice that way of speaking. Mm -hmm. And then it really gets easy, you know. It's just language. I mean, it's it's an acquired skill. True. It's, we're not born go with into it. we a little bit yeah. later, and I'm excited to share that part of the story.
2: <laughs> but before we get too much off track, right. get, You are now living in Rajamundri. right? And this is kind of where you spent a majority of your childhood, right? And really tapped into your inner nerd. Absolutely. So what was uh, so like? What was that time like for you? And like, what was a day in the life of Manoj?
3: So um, I was going to school and school as a kid is pretty eventful, you know, you get to go, you get to sit in those boring classes, you get to whine, you get to take tests which you're not a fan of and then you have the recess time where you run, run out into the field bully other people you know hit other people usually the usual stuff and and then eventually get being kicked uh, get kicked or you know um hurt yourself (laughs) come back home crying listen listen to the parents (laughs) yelling and then go back and do it again right so (laughs) every day every day every day but in if i zone back most part of my childhood was me trying to be competitive It was uh, me trying to be that top person, and for some reason, my principal tried to push me to be that top person. Right? She used to send me a lot of painting competitions, elocution, poetry, um, essay writing, and things like that. Like she wanted me to do it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were things I liked about it, and there were things I did not like about it. For instance, you know, I used to love painting. I used to love. So when I was a kid. One of the drawing teachers, he drew a portrait of me and he handed it to me. And that's when I started, I took into drawing and pencil sketches and things like that. Mm -hmm. And thank God for some part of my childhood, I was really good at it. And then I just lost touch, you know, and then, you know, studies took over and I had to get really serious with my studies and my direction in life and things like that. When I was in Rajamundri, like, that arts out of me did, you know, take shape, and I used to do a lot of stuff, you know, painting, go to competitions, participate in a lot of uh, debates, quizzes, you know, poetry um, kind of things. Gotcha. Everything was fun. So you were in a lot of
2: stuff. I was doing and a lot of stuff. It was really um, almost this, you got to be the best.
3: Yeah, right? I mean, I constantly had to push myself to be the best. Is that
2: is that part of the culture, you would say? It's... Just everyone it's just that important to to be the best.
3: So at least in the society I was living in, I don't know I mean, I don't wanna stereotype or generalize anything, but this is what I feel based on what I've observed. Mm-hmm. Your parents want you to be the absolute best. And they have certain norms and standards as what they regard as being top, you know, for instance, two parents got together and they'd be like, hey, my son's into poetry. Um, hey, my son won the first prize in drawing or skating or whatever. And then the other parent was like, hey, my my son's first in his class. My son just got first prize in, um, like he's he's got the first rank in his class after the midterm. And then this parent be, uh, would go like, oh, my son's good at all this artsy stuff, but I want him also to be good at his studies. Mm-hmm. So he's going to come back and he's going to tell you, this is all fine, keep at it, but I want you to be best at this too, you know. Definitely. So they wanted to take off all the boxes, and they wanted to be this sort of an all round person. And I get that, but sometimes it gets to you. you I was going to
2: say, was that a lot of pressure?
3: It was, it was definitely a lot of pressure, you know, I mean, so... During my 10th grade examinations, I know a lot of my friends don't know this, and I hope they would never get to listen to this podcast because they, I would not want <laughs> oh, them I'm to so listen excited. to this. Okay. <laughs> so it was the, uh, we, our curriculum was based on something which is called the Central Board of Secondary Education, and that's a nationwide education program. And the question papers, the examination papers were set nationally. Like, they weren't something which my school set up or something like that. It's the government with that sets the question papers. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, absolute. So Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, very important. Very important. And it was my first exam. It was social studies. And it I hated learning stuff by road. I just hated... You know, memorizing all that crap.
2: No, oh, everyone does. You're yeah. not
3: alone. Yeah. <laughs> I was in my 10th grade and like, how old is someone in their 10th grade? 16? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, so the exam was at 9 o'clock and I was, at, I was in my principal's office at 8 o'clock and I started, no, I was, in, I was at my home at 8 o'clock and I started sobbing. I'm like, I can't do this, I can't write it, I don't have the confidence. I just I just like broke down. Yeah. And that got my mom and my grandmom worried and they had to take me to my principal's office and we were there at eight thirty. Nine o'clock is the exam by the way. Gotcha. Eight thirty. And my principal ma'am, she uh brought together a couple of teachers who I used to like hanging out with and they used to like um, you know, talking to me and things like that. So they had to set up a counseling session half hour before the exam just so I could go sit in the exam hall and just write whatever I wanted to write
2: oh boy so I mean that's intense
3: that is pretty intense, <laughs> that's intense. that is pretty intense like, so what
2: was writing on that so what was writing on the, the test or what was the consequence of getting a good or a bad grade on these tests
3: so it's It's not just a consequence and it's more about the personal, you know, the the standard you set for yourself. For instance, I wanted to be the best all the time. I mean, for me, the fact that I can't be the best for the next six months would have given me so many sleepless nights, you know. And I don't know, that may be partly that's because of the way I was when I was a kid and partly because, you know, the way my parents, my grandparents and my teachers wanted me to be as a part of that kid. So in when um, we were getting these progress reports or um, the exam reports, we used to have a star system. So the one who is at the top, he's got he gets an A plus grade and he has three golden stars. Mm -hmm. So there was this one instance where I had three, two golden stars and one silver star. And that's when my grandmom and granddad had to have a parent teacher meeting.
2: Oh, my God. And because I didn't get the, one,
3: didn't gold get the one gold star and I missed that grade by what? Like a couple of points or something. So your
2: grandparents set up a teacher conference. Teacher uh,
3: conference and they're like, What's wrong with my kid?
2: Oh man. I mean I definitely know some families in the US that do that too, and I could not imagine. Would you have done it differently, do you think? Or would like you do if, the same thing? Like
3: right now, like if I were to have a kid, if I were to, you know go through his education or his schooling system, I wouldn't do that. I would not do that, you know. So my intention would be to make sure the kid is just on the right path. He's not straying away or straying off, you know. That's mm-hmm. And make sure he's in the right company because through my life, that's what I realized is really important. You have to surround yourself with the right kind of people, people who are pure, people who are, you know, have their intentions in the best place and who cannot you know take you for a ride or take you for an advantage take advantage of you Mm -hmm. as long as that's the case i'm pretty sure my kid's gonna turn out into a good person like a someone who can pull his own weight at the same time be a responsible person in society and for me that's good yeah Yeah. so Uh, i wouldn't i don't know I, i i wouldn't like this competition in the first place because you know because eventually, like, okay, I used to win the first place in an arts competition, but what, does, what good does that do right now, you know?
2: Yeah, I do not even know. Yeah, see? <laughs> I mean, my, my good much. friend doesn't know
3: that I paint. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> I'll need see, to see
2: that sometime.
3: Yeah, well, I've, I don't know where they're yeah, I, I can show you. <laughs> oh, you, Yeah,
2: that would be super cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. And that's, um, I think, a good segue into the next part of these expectations of the next step after after high school right it's a big decision for a lot of people but especially for you because you decided to go to the U.S. for college right and I'm sure there was a lot of expectation on you because you succeeded in being the top or close to the top right were you the top did you ever make it
3: yeah so in that uh, examination I was talking about, the tenth grade examination, like yeah. I stood first in my school and some people say I was also first in the district, but I don't know if that's true. Well heck yeah.
2: So basically you have a lot of expectations yes. on you to do certain yes, things. Yes, there
3: was there were a lot of expectations and which is why the next part becomes really, really important. So right after high school I had to do my eleventh and twelfth in a much bigger city. So that was in Hyderabad, which is the capital city of my state. Okay. Right. So I went to, uh, like, junior college there for my 11th and 12th grade. And then, again, I still had this, like, I still wanted to be the top. I still wanted to compete. I still wanted to, you know, have the best grade in the class and things like that. But just the only difference is this time I'm surrounded by a huge crowd of people who are doing the exact same thing and who have gone through the exact, who have taken the same trajectory in their childhood. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So I'm in, I'm in a pool of competitors and the first few tests like obviously I couldn't make it to the I couldn't uh, make the cut I couldn't get those top grades and I was like I was so bummed about it I, I didn't feel like you know studying anymore I didn't feel like you know continuing this anymore but at some point as that happened I guess my grandma my grandparents like great people so they kind of told me that son you don't have to be the best you just have to do what's necessary You know, I guess that's when even they sort of came around and they uh, felt like I needed to do something that is comfortable for me to do. Mm -hmm. That's when they're like, see, you set a goal for yourself and try to go there. You don't have to be on top of everybody and reach there. As long as you get there, as long as you sort of hustle through the crowd and get there, you're fine. So that was a a really good piece of advice. Yeah from that point on like i didn't really care what grade i made like i just wanted to get good grades not the best grades and i sort of hunkered down on my expectations on you know where to be or what to do and eventually i wanted to get into a good undergrad institution and i did so i went to uh, i did my chemical engineering in bits pilani and that's the top private university in india mm-hmm. and i'm glad for doing that because even there, I met with a bunch of great people. I kept um, earning good grades, and I had a life worth of experience. So that was fun.
2: So it was almost like a mindset shift. It was like a shift. mindset
3: shift, right? It was yeah. a huge shift I'd right really there. I really like that.
2: Do what's necessary, and then make your realistic goals, and keep going for them, keep striving for
3: Absolutely, them. absolutely. It's definitely necessary, because at this point, you know, either you need to have the right kind of mindset to deal with that sort of competition, or you need to have, be like super talented. You you need to be like this, you know, child prodigy, you know, yeah. who solves math problems right from when he was born or something like that. And that ain't me. That's definitely not me. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Calculators
3: were invented for a reason. <laughs> I even hated the abacus, by the way. So yes, <laughs> that's definitely not me. And that's when I figured, you know, I have to do what's necessary and what's sufficient, not what's the best you know because no matter what i do there's still someone better than me out there you know that was the best part of realization to know there's someone else better than you out there so you have to push yourself to improve yourself not to be better than someone
2: yeah very well said right and i think that was a probably a driving factor this new mindset for your next big absolutely it was i i felt master's program going to the u.s
3: right i mean so i was at that point where you know i was feeling much lighter without the burden of being the top uh, top performer or whatever and then this gave me really chance uh, this really gave me a chance to think of you know where i want to be what i want to do and stuff like that and there's also this thing that uh, my mom always wanted me to pursue my studies you know outside of india Mm. you know gain those life experiences and be in a position where i can have a much better life yeah I mean, it's 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 a fact that, you know, I, I would be earning much more here for my skills than I would earn back in India, right? right. So that's what she kind of tried to uh, suggest to me. And we, I had the conversation with my grandparents and with my parents. As that went on, as time progressed, even I started to see myself, you know, coming over to this country and living here and trying to understand, you know, how I would fit into this system and this society here and, you know, try to make a living here. Right. Because so it's not a,
2: obviously not a small move.
3: It's definitely not a small move. It's definitely not.
2: Yeah. And you was there any, uh, I'm sure you got some conflicted pressures back and forth and right. family is obviously extremely important and it seems like grandparents and mom were, were on the same page, okay, like this is a good decision. But your dad, on the other hand, was actually giving you some some backlash and being, no, it might be better to stay here in India. Did that weigh on you at all? Or how did you kind of sort through these conflicted views of what you should be doing?
3: So it definitely did weigh on me because my dad was someone who never really took a keen interest on my childhood, firstly. Like, he did not make an effort to be involved in my childhood. He more, like, saw it as... A monetary equation, like he's like, okay, I'm putting this much money into this person. Would he be able to extract maximum value out of it? So, I mean, I don't see the point because he didn't even pay for my education. My mom did for most part. So, when we were considering, like, I had three job offers before um, I had to make the decision, and one was from Mercedes, and one was from a, a local oil and gas company, and the other one was from Another company where I did an internship, so I had options to pick from. So they, uh, my dad, so you could have
2: very easily stayed.
3: I could have stayed. I could have easily stayed, and and made some good money too. Yeah. So that's what my dad wanted me to do. He was like, "This is a stable option. Don't dream high. You know, you don't. You're just buying into this uncertainty of going into a different country, paying big money to get a degree, which you don't know would earn you a job or not. Don't do this." And that was also the point when that was also the point when uh, my mom and dad were having a really strained relationship, and for obvious reasons, I always leaned towards my mom's side, and at that point, his opinion did not matter to me as much. It did weigh me down because that was also a part of the struggle between my parents mm-hmm. but when but then when my mom and I had the conversation. She's like, you have to do this for yourself. And at this point, I don't see myself, you know, bending over to his opinion. I don't want to do that. I want you to be yourself. And that's what's going to give me maximum happiness in such a um, ugly situation as this. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided, you know, I just take the leap. Take the leap and go. Take the leap of faith and go. And you did. I did. It was a, It was a very bold and ballsy move because I couldn't stay away from my grandparents for a second when I was young and even when I was doing my undergrad that was in New Delhi which is near New Delhi which is the northern part of India despite that I used to go home like at least once a semester I used to visit my grandparents I used to stay with them you know that was how much I was attached to them so coming over to a different country needed me to cross a whole new and huge mental block
2: Yeah, how did you, how did you combat that in your head? So obviously a big mental block. This is, this isn't moving to the other side to the to North India. This is with like oceans and lots and lots. Right, you you can't come back for it. You (laughs) can't
3: come back for semesters and. That'll be a semester tuition to cover. Yeah. Pretty hard
2: to do that. Absolutely. Like, was it just um, you're like you decided, and before you could even think about it, you just jumped off the cliff and went? Or was there? How did you combat that?
3: So failure? there, there are there are a couple of reasons, like a couple of uh, factors which helped me, you know, sort of jump over the cliff. Firstly, everything was happening so quick and fast that you know. I didn't have really time to address these issues. I mean, I mean they were playing at the back of my head, but then everything was going so quick and smooth that, you know, I could just, uh, you know, I, like you said, I just took the jump. And the two factors are one, one of my good friends from childhood, like I've known him for the past um, 12, to, 12 to 13 years, He was also coming with me. He was on the flight with me. He was going to the same school as I was going. Okay, so you had a little bit. I had a little bit of respite there. (laughs) And the fact that I wanted to explore the other side of the planet. I wanted to explore this country, the people here, and the life here. And I knew I was going to have a much more independent life where I can, you know, explore myself, more importantly. That's what, you know, helped me take the leap. And that's what I did.
2: Yes, you did. And it kind of makes me laugh because I'm sure you didn't quite know beforehand when you landed, but we
1: didn't
2: didn't tell the audience yet what school you went to, but you went to Texas A&M. Right. Which, um, you know... Texas has its. We own have a great football team. <laughs> Do I, have...
3: I don't want to be a Buckeye fan. I'm an Aggie it's football fan. Okay, fans. you
2: watch yourself. Let's <laughs> well, not it's <laughs> fight words. So you, you relax. Once you guys actually beat Alabama again, then we'll talk. Um, yeah, well, I hope that hurts. Big fingers. <laughs>
1: so,
2: <laughs> so you went to you went to Texas A and M, right. and I'm sure everyone. Everyone has some kind of stereotypes of Texas and, you know, this, like, big southern Republican, the forefront, maybe not immigrant-friendly, Right, and you're going right into the middle. And Texas A&M is in College Station, Mm -hmm. right, which is in a small town, so it has even (laughs) more, it's it's more stigmas about more of a rural place in Texas. (laughs) So, how was it? (laughs) What was uh What was it like? So you get there, you don't. Did you have kind of an idea of what was going on, and then what actually
3: happened? (laughs) So when I was on the plane, I had a seat right next to the window. I mean, I wanted it so I could see what landing in U.S. was like, or what you know how it felt like. And this is your first time in the U.S. My first time in the U.S. So I was landing in this regular looking airport with with and it's totally flat. It was a dark and a dingy day. Not the kind of landing I was hoping for, but still I did. I went in so maybe I was expecting it to be like, you know I, I don't know, maybe people in hats and cowboy boots with hands on their holsters and then horses or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, Hey, you can't blame me. I mean, movies made me think that way. (laughs) Hey, I still think it's like that. So I land in the airport, I get out, I get a taxi and I'm like, hey, wait, these are regular people. Oh, there's a guy in suit. I didn't know people in Texas wear suits. (laughs) And then, so I landed there in the evening, and we just got in a cab, and me and my friend, we uh, were looking around. And first observation: the roads were so damn clean and wide and huge, right? And there were not yeah. a lot of vehicles on the road. That's true. I guess yep. that would be. Uh, a that's very big that's that's, from from a to, uh, like, yeah. that's a strange sight. Like that's <laughs> a strange strange sight. <laughs> So uh, the ride to College Station from Houston, Houston's where I landed. The ride to College Station is like an hour and a half to two hours. Mm. And I kind of felt, I kind of got bored of it like after the first 10-15 minutes because everything looked the same. I mean, okay, I get it. It comes That's down true. to there's a lot, it there's comes a lot down of to land. Good. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of land, there's a lot of barren land, and the only shops you, the only places you see are these malls which look exactly the same as the previous one. I'm like, wait. <laughs> is this some sort of time travel? <laughs> <laughs> Were we actually moving? Yeah. Go back? <laughs> so and then we hit college station and then it's 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 a it's almost like um good parts of New Delhi, like, where everything's spaced out, you know, everything's wide, clean, you know, mm-hmm. nice buildings and things like that, you know. So maybe I was expecting skyscrapers, you know, like Times Square or whatever, but, you yeah. know, it didn't take long for me to, you know, prime my expectations when I landed in Texas. I <laughs> so you were
2: thinking, you know, big opportunity, yeah. less, big skyscrapers, New yeah. York, the movies, a, lot, right. a less, and you got... Identical malls and college station, which right? Which is Absolutely. the reality, the of, reality. Of, of most of the U.S. It's, it's not new, York, hey, but the refreshing
3: but, thing is there there's not a lot of traffic, which true, you got deal. so many brownie pints right there. <laughs> <laughs> this place ain't so bad, yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, so you get to you get the Texas A and and you're getting your master's degree, and you told me a little bit before that you were kind of expecting some some racial discrimination or right. prejudice, and of course, a lot of people in the U.S. think the South, or put that stereotype on right. the South, that right. they are immigrant unfriendly right. and uh, more of a racial discrimination down there compared to us. Whether that's true or not, no idea. But you, you mm. went down there, yeah. and what... Was was there any of that? Was there any attacks against you? Were there any attacks or
3: comments? Do you remember? So, I know a lot of people might think, you know, it's being a brown guy, you might be getting a lot of, you know, a lot of flag for being brown or, you know, you might be called a terrorist or whatever. But, thankfully, the place I was in, you know, it's, it's a small town, it's a really conservative town. But a lot of people there were devoted to service. Uh, a lot of people there, you know, were overly religious, I give them that, but they took the good aspect of their religion, like they wanted to serve the communities. For instance, you know, there were a lot of people who hosted us when uh, we were these young grad students days to just ask us to come over to the house, have a meal with their family, and then stay in touch with us. And, for instance, it was it was a cultural shift, you know. I felt The people here were, in fact, you know, were much more welcoming than people back in India. For instance, if I was just walking on the road, I I was once asking for a lift, you know. I I mean, I wasn't asking for a lift. I I was asking for directions, like where to go here. A guy offered me to walk to that place with me, and he dropped me right at the building. I was like, okay, there would be people who would do that, even back in India, but that's rare. You know, Mm -hmm. everyone's so caught up in their lives. Everyone's, you know, having their own issues and troubles, and they're always running back and forth but here i felt like you know people do that pe- people do that too but then they take a step back to serve and they have the sense of community and the sense of the uh, idea of service here is pretty robust mm-hmm. and that's what i felt about the texans you know they're really warm people they're good people there might be some outliers you know like in every state or you know in, like uh, in every country there's people yes. everywhere i mean somebody, i think there are a lot of Roughnecks, redhead people, and uh, redskins and whatever. But these people are like... Rednecks. Rednecks. Yeah, whatever. Sorry. Dickhead. (laughs) Right. So these people were great people. Like whoever I've had the opportunity to interact with, they've been, uh, they're like really good people and they had a good sense of serving the community. For instance, there used to be a church nearby our place and they used to offer free meals on Wednesdays. And we used to go there purely for the free food. We didn't even care to listen to, you know, what they were talking about or whatever. Right. We just used to go there and grab any some free food. Typical college student typical, mentality. Any college free student. Food, food, I'm there. Right. I'm in. Right. So. And the fact that, I mean, those were people in their 80s and 70s who were ser- cooking and serving the food. I'm like, that. that's really something which, you know, I'd like to tell my people about you know that's something which i wish my people did more you know that that sort of serving and sort of commitment to the community that was great
2: yeah so you it was almost uh an opposite effect
3: it was an where, opposite effect
2: and that's a really good story of you know how free prejudices and ideas that you have of a place beforehand or is you know right. it's not it's, you don't it, really know until you get there absolutely
3: and Sometimes I feel most times people are ill-informed, you know, no one is inherently a bad person. Mm -hmm. Most of the times, you know, people are ill-informed and they just have access to the wrong information, which is why they keep doing what they do or saying what they say. For instance, I mean, this sort of, you know, overemphasis on the Americans being racist or whatever. But we, Indians, we are racist to our own people. Like people in the north discriminate against people in the south. And people in the North and South discriminate against people in the Northeast because they look kind of Chinese. So, I mean, yeah. hey, we have our own problems. And in fact, we are the biggest racists out there. We don't have the right to point fingers at other people. Right. So I think me being wary of that fact made me realize you know how welcoming and warm the people here are. And I always maintain that even till late. Like, I've never come across anyone who pointed fingers at me for being brown or pointed fingers at me for uh, not being from this country or taking away their opportunities or whatever. And that's the best thing. This country is an equal opportunity employer. Mm -hmm. If you have the right kind of talent, if you have the right kind of grit, you can make it. You can make it big.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point because everywhere has its problems. We're all humans. right? And we all do suffer from the same challenges. And... I think that's a really good point for especially all of us Americans living in this climate and are upset that race and sexual profile is still a major factor. And uh, a lot of legislation and stuff in this country are just kind of the systems that are present. But it's it is everywhere. Right. And it's it's nice to know that. You know other other countries struggle with that, and we're doing we're making progress, even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. we are making progress
3: well it's it, don't be too hard on yourself you're making progress <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes
2: I mean it's good to be hard on yourself a little bit there's still a lot to do, but yes right. it, it is um, once you get out of the u s and you visit some countries that are very very discriminatory towards different parts, right? Different people from the world. Are like, okay, that's bad. Yeah, that's I know. Right. <laughs> There's great towns in Texas that are serving food for all of the, the students all that come around the world. All of the immigrants who are coming in
3: from all around the world. You know, yeah, that's great.
2: And that's a pretty good start to me.
3: Absolutely, man. <laughs> so it
2: was different. It was definitely, yeah, different than what you expected. You didn't have the landing that you wanted, and. <laughs> The no, no, wild, wild west, big hats, boots, and oh, guns, yeah. <laughs> and everything like that. But what was your what was your favorite part in Texas? Yeah,
3: the barbecue. The barbecue
2: <laughs> <laughs> was that kind of your first experience. The barbecue.
3: Yes. In India, the only kind of meat I was exposed to was fish and chicken. I mean, fish is poultry, but still, those were the only non-vegetarian stuff I would eat. Mm-hmm and before i got here my mom was explicitly go, mentioning Texas don't eat barbecue. the meat my mom was explicitly telling don't eat the beef don't eat the pork and then i got here and we had a international students welcome party and they were serving pizza i go to them and i'm uh, so i grab a piece of pepperoni i know the word pepperoni but because pepper is there in it i i mean i thought maybe those are like red pepper red bell peppers or yeah. whatever yeah uh, you don't know. I there's don't no know. Idea. So I take a slice and I dive into it and I feel this, you know, really stretchy piece of food. I'm like, wait, this red thing here, isn't this bell pepper? And the guy who served it was like, that's pepperoni. I'm okay. like, yeah, pepper? No, pork. What'd you do? <laughs> I called my mom. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I think I just had pork.
1: <laughs> and
2: when that was kind of the cascade. Into, yeah. And that was, my know? mom
3: was like, okay, it's fine for now. Just don't eat beef. And then I was out with a bunch of folks for an interview and it took me to a steakhouse. Right. Yeah. You'd be happy to hear this again. Oh, I'm, I'm so <laughs> excited for everyone to listen to
2: this.
3: Yeah. So once they, uh once we were at the steakhouse, it was like a, more like a salad bar where you know we we could pick our veggies we could pick our meats the cuts and things like that so they wanted me to pick a cut which wasn't you know so difficult i'm like yeah okay whatever that's meat i'll take that and i went to the next station where the chef was like okay how do you want your meat done i was like
1: "Uh,
3: cooked (laughs) (laughs) because i'm i i did not know a fancy steakhouse (laughs) yeah was
2: like a top-notch for an interview, they're treating you. <laughs> Absolutely. Steakhouse.
3: They they took me to a top-notch steakhouse and they were feeding me steak, and I was like, Yeah, I want it cooked. <laughs> and the chef was like, um, okay, let's do this again. How do you want your meat cooked? I mean, I didn't know. I mean, for me, cooked is cooked. Yeah, right? So I just told him like no normally, normally cooked. <laughs> <laughs> That's not
2: what you said. Ian. Yeah. What did you say? So, uh, you wanted Oh yeah! Brown. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah! <laughs> I'm so glad he told me oh, this Jesus before. This makes it so much funnier.
3: Yeah, I told him. Well, you to. have
2: no idea, and that's such a random part of our culture. Like, anyone to cut brown? Like, dude. even now I don't. I don't, want want don't
3: any like, even, even now I don't brown. know what to call it. You know, even now I'd be like, okay, medium red and then I get a pink piece of meat, and I'm like, oh shit, yeah. that was wrong yeah. again. Yeah. I was wrong again. <laughs>
2: I still get it wrong, too. I just, like, whatever. Yeah. DM, I guess. Let's I think that. I should
3: stick to Brown from next time. I think you should forever call it Brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was
2: so and,
3: Yeah, you got me
1: there.
2: <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, it was, there There's some good points, bad points, right. exploratory. And then you started kind of getting your feet underneath you and then you graduated mm-hmm. so this was as we were talking before a pretty hard time in your life because right. there was a lot of different factors going on including definitely the visa pressures which right. a lot of people don't realize that once you got out of school you have a time frame to get a job if you don't get a time frame you're out right so there's a lot of different things going on can you give us a little more perspective of what was happening after you graduated and just how everything in life kind of started stacking up against you.
3: Right. So um, I graduated in May 2016, which if you go back and look at the oil price back then was probably in the 20s. Right. And when I joined the program, the oil price was in the hundreds. So it's not so hard to imagine what an $80 Price change would do to the industry. Big
0: changes. It just devastated the whole
3: thing. It just wiped yeah. everybody out of Houston. It's it was just companies were running bankrupt. And for instance, there was a time when I emailed a guy saying, "Hey, this is my resume. Do you want to look at it?" So his response to that was, um, "Do you ever see the oil price?" That was his response. I mean, I get it. He, I mean, I can see the frustration. It's, It was terrible back then. Yes,
2: yeah, so you got this big economic downturn in your industry. Huge
3: economic downturn. I mean, so... Or people were even saying, we can't. Internet. Yeah, we There's can. No way. So, my graduation was more like, again, a leap of faith because there were two options in front of me. Like, I could either graduate and look for a job or I could join a PhD program. And my professor was willing me to take in me for a phd program Mm -hmm. but i realized that's something i wouldn't want to do i just didn't want to join a doctor's program just because i didn't get a job you know i've seen people who started it with extreme enthusiasm and great intentions and an awesome research topic and two years down the lane they hit this wall and they're like we don't know what we're doing with our lives yeah so if they can do that think about me who wouldn't who would have started a program without any of these Yeah. so i just didn't want to do that so i I wanted to graduate and look for a job. And it's not as easy as it sounds because when you're... So I was on an F1 student visa. And once I graduate, I have to apply for something which is called OPT or Optional Practical Training. So what that lets you do is it lets you work for a company or an employer who would be willing to take you in. Right. So I applied for that. I got the card, the authorization card. And... From the day I got the card, to uh, the day I would be finding employment, there shouldn't be more than ninety days. If it's beyond ninety days, I'd be kicked out of the country. Ninety days. Yep. That's it. That's you it. Ninety days. I just have ninety days. Holy crap. Yep. That's nothing. Yeah, that's that's racing against time. You know, that's yeah. So and in an industry which was like that, so I yeah, it, it, was, it was an
2: economic downturn where we're getting responses back saying. Are you crazy? Yeah. Not, right?
3: <laughs> but that's what it, I needed to be. I needed to be crazy enough to get out and, you know, dive head in and figure out a way to get out of that slump. So I graduate. I have this 90 day time period the clock's taking. And what was that time? Like, what was going on through
2: your head through that? So you're looking around at almost this mess and
3: yeah it, it's not just that it was a bunch of things like my granddad I learned he, he he contracted cancer and he didn't have much time to live and I was going through a breakup after I would call what what I would call an abusive relationship I guess geez, yeah. uh, so that kind of so it was like all the crap hit the fan and then I was financially broke my professor couldn't support me anymore and I had to go and live with two good friends in Houston, three good friends in Houston, like who took me under their wings and like they didn't even let me pay for the rent, you know, they were really nice and kind to me wow. and they yeah. wouldn't even sometimes they wouldn't even let me pay for my own food, though I didn't like that sometimes. But they were just so genuine and kind hearted people and who I would never forget for the rest of my life. Yeah. So I used to um and I had to go and live with them. I was financially broke. So the only thing that got me through, you know, that kinda gave me some sort of energy to sort of fight with this crisis is soccer i used to play a lot of soccer right? yeah. a lot of soccer and then one day i tore my knee again oh, that's i did right. this yeah. a year before and again when when i was playing soccer again i did that again
2: that's right because you just had acl surgery right and so that was the time when you blew out your knee so i blew out my knee so your only now your only release is, is gone taken away from you
3: so let's recap the economic downturn 3 months clock ticking my granddad break up financially broke acl injury again
2: so this is um not a good time
3: you can say that yeah yeah
2: and it's weird how life always piles things up on you
3: absolutely so, i, I
2: what was what was like what was your like mindset going into it because you couldn't waste any time i couldn't waste um, any time obviously but at the same time i mean you probably kind of escape it all, just kind of feeling trapped. What was, uh? was there anything that just got you through?
3: So at one point when I used to, I used to write millions of emails and I used to apply to hundreds of jobs online and at some point I used to, you know, feel like, you know, okay, at least one of them is going to respond, right? At least one of the job opportunities I applied to is going to ask me for an interview. Yeah. I used to do that and I used never heard back from any one of them and then, that went on for a period of time and then my expectations or um, what i call relief sort of changed i was like okay maybe today if i apply for 30 jobs and reach out to like 50 people i can go to bed so that's about uh, you know everything you know you just have to find yourself something to keep yourself keep you going mm-hmm. just i had to set up these small goals and i just had to you know Keep um, knocking all the doors I found, and keep I just had to keep away, doing it. And that's how it is. I mean, every day I used to go to bed thinking, okay, maybe tomorrow's going to be a brighter day. You know, I'm going to hear back from someone tomorrow. I'm going to get a call or something from tomorrow. But then I used to wake up and realize the whole day, the whole next day went again. It took the same, uh, it had this, sort of had the same story like the previous day. It used to repeat over and over again, but then just never lost hope.
2: Stay in, day
3: out. Day Just stay in, day, in, day, day out. out. And at one point, I realized I was doing everything I can do, like everything I can possibly do. If it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. I mean, it's not the end of life. You know, there are much, far, much worse things in life, like people dying of hunger or starvation, people, you know, the kids in Syria, you know. We're not there. I mean, we have much. Many more resources to deal with their problems, which are not even, you know, as can be, which cannot be even compared to what these kids or, you know, what many people in these countries are going through. So I felt, you know, my duty or my job ends at doing whatever I can possibly do. Beyond that, I just had to leave it up to the market and, you know, some force they call God. Yeah. I just, I just didn't want to, you know, blame myself for being in this situation I mean that's what a lot of people end yeah. up doing we cannot blame ourselves for being in that situation unless you don't put the effort that you want to put in I just made sure I did that and like I said I used to go into bed hoping something would change the next day and then realize next day went the same way and yeah. go to bed again hoping that, that would change And but I somehow for some reason I didn't lose that hope and Eventually, one day I get the call. Like I get this. I got the I got the Battelle interview call in August for a job I applied in May, and I didn't even know I applied for that. Wow! Yeah. I was like, so interview was like, hey, so do you remember you applied for the reservoir engineering position? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was yeah, yeah, And ones. I was quickly, I was quickly <laughs> flipping through my emails, and I'm like, yeah, there it is. Yeah, I got it. So what about it? She's, she's like, we'd like to, you know, have you over for an interview and talk to you and things like that. So, you know, that said, the ball's rolling. And then they eventually had me over at Bethel, And I spoke with 12 different people that day.
2: The interview process was really yeah. hard.
3: Yeah. I came in at 8 o'clock and I had to leave at 5. And the reason I left at 5 was because my flight was at 6.30 or else they wouldn't have let me go. You know? right. I wanted to give it my best shot. I realized it's my only chance it's the one chance i've been waiting for
2: what time in the 90 days are you at at this point
3: i think i was hitting 70
2: okay so we we're, we're at the, we're in the there
3: we're about maybe if i wouldn't have gotten this maybe one more month and that's it curtains gotcha so
1: that's
3: a lot of pressure a lot of pressure but i but i realize you know it's the only chance at stable employment i had And I had to pour my all into it, so I used to read up a lot about, you know, each line in the job description, even if I didn't know the topic, I used to look up research papers online and read books or whatever. I used to spend endless hours in a coffee shop, it's called Agora, it's in Houston. I used, to, I used to drive with a friend there. It's like 30 miles from where I live. I used to just spend endless hours drinking, you know, copious amounts of coffee. <laughs> keeping yourself <laughs> going. All keeping right, we got, this, going. Yeah. we got this. And at some point, all that gave me the confidence that, okay, I'm going to take this and skin this cat. And I got here. Everything went well, you know. Thank God. Knock on wood for that. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, okay, we'll get back to you. And then... Okay,
2: so then there's this waiting period there's this period where everything fell flat and you're just waiting so you put all this time and energy you're going to all these coffee shops right you gave it your all and now you're back you're sitting
3: this sound like my previous day doesn't it
2: (laughs) yeah you're like ah crap now i'm back in the same spot yeah you're just like well it's up to them now yeah you did everything that you could have done
3: oh absolutely and i was like I just had to wait and I mean the idea was you know keep applying you know but you wouldn't have the same kind of enthusiasm once you've invested so much of your energy on one prospect the rest would be like ah, I need some rest yeah maybe I'll just take it easy yeah but then I didn't want to do that I mean if something went wrong with this I knew because you have like 20 days I have like 20 days yeah
2: you have less than a month left if this goes
3: bad if this goes bad right so yeah Again, I had to keep doing all the applications and things. But then there was a point again where I realized, you know, it's just too much effort. I mean, I, I was sort of wilting inside mm-hmm. because of the granddad thing too. You know, that was also oh, weighing on me. Pressures. yeah. It was a lot of pressure. And I was keeping this knee issue away from my mom and my family, and they would know about it. At the same point, like, I didn't have medical insurance, so I couldn't go get it checked. Right. And I didn't have money. So I couldn't, uh, I mean, I didn't know what was happening in my knee and there were a lot of things that were playing on my mind. But for some reason, I tried to push all of them aside and just focus on this one task. And one day I get the call from the recruiter saying, yeah, so we'd like to offer it. it's just a normal it. day, right? It's, it's just,
2: just a normal day you woke I, up.
3: Usually I, w- I, w- I wake up, wake up in bed like a hobo. Uh, the first thing I see is my laptop. Again, I fl- open it and start typing away LinkedIn or... Career Finder or whatever, and start applying again. Then I get a call from the recruiter, and I, I mean, I know it's an Ohio number, so I just throw everything away. I go into a room which is fairly silent compared to the other rooms. I lock the door and I'm like, my voice starts to waver. I'm like, "Uh, hello, and she's like, who knows? This is about the reservoir engineering position, and she started to drag sentences and I'm like god God. no no just come on just give it to me you know and she was like yeah we'd like to offer the position and I didn't hear anything she said after that it was just so I mean everything sounded mute to me after that I'm like I don't know I started crying
2: so as soon as you hung up that phone then what happened
3: so I needed to gather myself because it, it was a lot going yeah, like on what right? was going
2: on through your head You're a lot numb, was going was on it through just... my head. I,
3: I felt like that was the point I didn't want to think about anything I just felt like I want to sit there and let the body do whatever it wants to do for one time for one point of time I wanted my mind not to control the body I was just like sit there and I just let the tears roll and I was like was taking deep breaths, and I was singing, and I was just in a good place. You did it. Yeah, I was like, I did it. It's finally something worked out for me against all hope.
2: At the tail end of the 90 days. Yeah. With everything starting to stack up against you.
3: And the first thing I did was call my granddad, because if there's anyone... Who I owe my life to it's him, and my grandmom and my mom he's the only reason like I've straightened out and uh, he's the only reason why I at least consider myself to be someone who can add value to this society and I just called him, and I told him, I got this, and he's like apparently he was on a he was on a strict diet, strict drinking diet, and strict eating diet till then because of his issue. Mm-hmm. And that day, he just took permission from my mom to go lose. Ah, He's like, I'll eat everything, I'll drink everything, yeah. Apparently, he also broke the bottle, which he's been saving up for a long time and he drank it. So, (laughs) I'm happy he did that. So, after that, I spoke to my family, and then I texted these two friends who took me under their wing. And I texted a few other friends who, you know stuck with me during this downturn because that's when you know who the real friends are who actually care for you I've, I've had some people who used to constantly call me keep me motivated you know give me directions and things like that so I let every one of them know that I got this job oh yeah and that's when I felt much lighter much happier and I the hardest thing for me to do was to make sure this was not the end but the beginning because this happy platform is where I need to build on. I need to keep improving. I need to keep laying each brick of my life till I get to the step or I get to the point where I want to be in like 20 years, 30 years.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, oh, man, I got to tell you, it's an incredible story of just <laughs> blind faith and hope and the generosity of people and Absolutely taking not. a big leap of faith. And there's so many aspects <laughs> To the life that you lived so far with so many. So oh don't much forget, more. don't forget the devil in me, right? Oh yeah, there's also the devil in of you and so so many different parts of the story, but to to sum it all up, do you think if you could send a message off to maybe some listeners in the same position you are, or what what message would you want to send to them?
3: So this is one thing I always used to tell myself when you know I used to go through all this um, period of troubles and hassles. So, all that life is throwing at you, all these problems, all these issues, or all these curveballs, these are only to make you a stronger and a better person. I would call myself lucky to have gone through such a troubled and testing time because that sort of forged who I am. You know, even a piece of metal or piece of iron unless you heat it you melt it unless you give it certain shape it can become a sword right i mean that's how we have to see ourselves unless you have something hitting you hard you can't take a definitive shape you need uh, those are the times you need to question and rediscover yourself and try to improve some into something that you're not right now you know mm. that's that's what i'd like to you know I don't know if I'm in a position to tell people something or at least that's something I'd like to tell myself, you know. Well, it's a
2: fantastic message and I completely, completely agree with you. And I think that's exactly how we should end it. It's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> having you on the show, my friend. And
3: Absolutely, man.
2: This was fun. And yep. we will talk again soon.
3: Yep, that's easy. Thank you. Two,
2: right. three.
0: Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World, radio production of Oyster World, LLC. I'm your host, Nathan Lieberman, and thanks again to Manoj kumar for coming on the show. I miss you guys and my SeaBus bus crew, but it just means you have to come visit soon. If want to learn more about Oyster World and our mission to shatter, our personal bubbles go to the Oyster Hub at OysterYourWorld.com or like our Facebook page. You can find it by searching Oyster World. Keep up to date on everything that's going on in the big gap year on Instagram, Nathan.Wanders. And on Twitter at Nathan Oyster. Check out the links in the show description if you want to learn more. Special thanks to Charlie Melkin for all of the Oyster Jams. Check them out on Spotify or at CharlieMilkin.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Thanks again for tuning into Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, this is Nathan Lieberman. Signing off. I can't take control of my life if I'm too busy looking at the stars and thinking about our time that's gone by. It's time for a change in my day to day scene. Time to turn around from that clock, face the mirror, and change me. Whoa, I